Morning, church. Wow. All right. Right, right, right. Well, we're going to be looking at today about how to experience God over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to be looking at trying to understand his nature today. Um, for any of you that are signing up for the Bible study, which will be starting in a couple of weeks, these next couple of weeks we'll be addressing the first few issues that we're going to be talking about in our studies. But uh, I just want to take us all on a journey where we can truly experience God, to actually feel his presence, to understand how he guides us, how we actually hear his voice. You know, there is this book right here. We have available to all of us the most powerful book in the world. I sometimes, you know, when I'm reading this, I forget what I'm reading. I mean, this is words, this is God's word. It's God's book. It's the story. It's God's story. Some say, you know, it's just a book of rules and regulations. You know, it's a book of do's and don'ts, okay? But no, it, it's God's story all the way from creation, why we're even here, why things even began. Stories of Abraham and Moses and Solomon and Jesus, the apostles, the saints, and it goes on to us, the church, and the new kingdom yet to come. It's a story of a loving and powerful God who is all about grace and who's all about reconciliation. You know, and matter of fact, you know, we probably know a whole lot more about Oprah and Ellen and Dr. Phil's worldview than we actually do of Jesus. We probably know more about their worldview than we do about our true purpose and why God has created us. And that's why I'm taking time over this next couple weeks to walk down this. Because I want to ask you, how do you understand God? How do you understand Jesus Christ? How do you process the Holy Spirit? How do you work through all those things? Do you turn to individuals like Rick Warren or Joel Osteen or Jeffrey Cranford or Paul Burst? who see the world from their perspective, read the word, or do you turn to God himself, his story, his words found in his book? Do you let the Holy Spirit reveal to you what God has for each and every one of you? I love this statement from J.I. Packer. He makes this, and it is so powerful and so true. He says, we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing the God whose world it is and who runs it. Then he goes on to say the world because then becomes just a strange, mad, painful place for those who do not know about God. I mean, isn't that true when you look at the world and how people are and the way they react, the situations and everything that's going on? Friends, living in this world without knowing God is like driving a car with the windows blacked out, okay? Because it doesn't matter how hard you step on the accelerator or what direction you're, you're, you know, you're turning the steering wheel, you're always going to be running into things. You're never really going to wind up going anywhere. You see, once I know what God is doing, well, then I'm able to see what... I'm supposed to do. So how do I know what God is doing? And how do I know where I should join him? Well, you need to, I realize that over time, I got to understand, I need to understand who he is the best that I possibly can. His nature, his character, his personality, his temperament. Because you see, doing God's will, 
joining him where he's working, can I tell you, many times when you're following God, it's like flying blind. Okay, you're not really sure what's going on. It, it, um, it reminds me, you remember a few years back when one of the Kennedy kids was killed in a plane crash? Remember he flew his plane right straight into the water? He was in a cloud bank. He couldn't see where he was flying. He was disoriented. He thought he was flying straight, but the reality was he was flying straight into the ground. He didn't know how to read the instruments, is what they found out later. He wasn't instrument rated. See, can I tell you, doing God's will, it's not always going to have sunny days where the direction is so clear. Many times it'll seem like we're in a cloud bank. It's important that we're instrument rated, that we understand God's nature, how he communicates to us during those times. Are we instrument rated with his word? Do you look at this regularly? Do you spend any time in it? When things get cloudy, does God help guide and direct? How Are you instrument rated in our community? Are you active somewhere serving in some of the wonderful charities and ministries this valley has to offer? Are you plugged into a Bible study? Are you instrument rated in actually hearing his voice? Because you know he can speak to you through other people. You know that, right? See, if, if you're going to get to know God, you have to know, we got to know the truth about him. All right? You cannot develop a relationship with God based on guesses or wishes or about what other people say about him. Do you guys remember back, I'd probably say 15 years ago, they had a thing called magic eyes. Do you remember? These were all over the malls. They were in stores. Remember, they were a painting or a picture, and you would stare at it. And if you stared at it, actually, you can do this if you cross your eyes, even with this one. If you cross your eyes and then open them up, can you see it? You can't see it? Some of you can? Okay. Well, it's actually called an audio stereogram. And you remember, if you stared at it long enough, a two-dimensional image turns into a three-dimensional image. And this flat image that we're looking at here all of a sudden would take shapes of planets or flowers or landscapes, all kinds of things. See, you remember as uh, what we're looking at for, can I encourage you, using that as a guide, what we're looking for when you're reading the Bible, I want you to follow me on this, is the ability to turn two-dimensional words on a paper into a three-dimensional encounter with God. So the text takes on life and meaning and perspective and gives us a direction for the day that we're walking into. Sometimes we just need to gain magic eyes <laughs> to bring a new way of reading the Bible. Another analogy would be, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote um, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I don't know if any of you ever saw that movie. You know, the characters of the story, they're in a room and they're staring at a picture on the wall of a Narnia ship when suddenly the picture draws them in. They can all of a sudden feel the breeze. 
They can smell the salty air. They can hear the sounds. And next thing you know, the room starts filling up with water. And into the story they go. Can I tell you, it's that sort of adventure with the Bible that we all should be looking for. We should be looking for that to happen for us. You know, the adventure of staring at the words of the Bible only to find ourselves drawn into the story itself. So you feel like you're actually there, that you're seeing it and you're hearing it and, you really, and the depth of it is just renewing you. So today I want to talk about an important step in experiencing God, and that's to understand his nature. You see, many of us know about God but don't really know him. And just, know, just, not, just knowing about God will leave you unsatisfied. It's kind of like an orphan. He can know the concept of a father, and he can probably describe a father to you, and he can read books on what it's like to have a father. But a child with a loving father would know much more about fatherhood than an orphan would because he is experiencing it. Let me give you another example. Let's say you have a business partner, or maybe just a good friend, and you both find yourself in a very unusual circumstance. It's a circumstance that just came at you, I mean, out of left field. It could even be a dangerous one. If you have a deep relationship with that person, you can pretty much determine how they're going to react to the situation you find yourself in because you know their nature. You've been through enough circumstances together that you're pretty sure, I think this is how they're going to react. Can I tell you, it's no different with God. God has a nature. He has characteristics. He has attributes. He's got qualities. But how the heck do we know what they are? Can we tell you, we learn them from his word. We learn them from history and personal experiences and stories and teachings, all those things. So you can pretty much, over time, start to determine what the outcome is probably going to be with the situation with God involved. See, don't miss this. Look, and if you're new here, whenever I say don't miss this, I give two or three of these, and that's in case you fell asleep for other things I've been saying. Just kind of remember these, okay? The essence of God's divine nature is love and righteousness, Look at, don't forget, I mean, that's his, I, that's his divine nature is love and righteousness. He is the source of a divine love. It's called agape love. It's a love that's unmerited favor. It's a love that is offered to all mankind through God's unbelievable grace. God's divine nature is also the source of righteousness in the world. Righteousness is just right way of living. His nature is a source of goodness, love, truth, wisdom. If you're taking notes, I'll have you start filling in the blanks right here. Number one, God is love. He's, his will is always the best for us. It's, it always is. God is all-knowing. His directions for us, I'm telling you, they're always right. They may not seem right at the moment. But in hindsight in life, having you look back and go, boy, I'm sure glad that didn't happen. I was listening to a Garth Brooks song the other day about unanswered prayers and how grateful he was. Because sometimes when God doesn't answer your prayer, he did answer your prayer. Just not the way you wanted it answered. Because he's all-knowing and he loves us. And can I tell you the biggest one? He's all-powerful. He can enable you to accomplish anything of his will. 
He can give you the power to do any of it. That's the God we serve. Jesus considered doing God's will to be the highest priority that there is. If you have your Bible, you can turn to uh, John chapter 4, and we'll also have it here up on the screen. But in John chapter 4, so here is Jesus. He's sitting there talking, and it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Hey, Rabbi, eat. But he says to them, I don't have any food to eat. I have food to eat that you do not even know about. And so the disciples were saying, I love this, right? They were saying to him, no one brought him anything to eat? <laughs> you know, did he? What do you mean? And then Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Following God's will is also important for you and for me. Often when people want to know God's will, they will ask, Having you done this, I wonder what God's will is for my life. I love a statement, a, a seminary professor, his name is Gaines Dobson, Dobbins. He used to say this, if you ask the wrong question, you're going to wind up always getting the wrong answer. Don't miss this. What God's will for my life is maybe not the best question to ask. The better question is, what is God's will? Let that sink in for a second. Maybe the question isn't going, hey, maybe it's not the best way to ask it. What's God's will for my life? Maybe the question you should be, what, what, I, what, what, wait a minute, what's God's will? Because people are naturally, let's face it, we're self-centered. <laughs> and we tend to view the world that way, okay? Even God's activity, okay? We look at it and go, well, how is it going to work in my life about me? Okay, because we're so self-centered. You see, once I know what God is doing, well, now I can see what I'm supposed to be doing. My focus needs to be outward on God and his purposes, not inward on my life. That's what the whole book's about. There's where real joy, happiness, fulfillment, everything comes from. My focus needs to be outward on God and his purposes, not so much inward on me. But then the question is, how do I know what God's doing? Uh, how do I know I'm uh, supposed to join him? <laughs> okay. It's as we walk through today and through this, it's understanding his nature, his character, his personality, his temperament. Let's just look at a few areas of God's nature. God is a provider. Uh, this is important. God is a provider, and a great story of how God provides is found in the book of Exodus concerning Moses and the Israelites. You guys know the story, right? They're in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, right? And God calls Moses out at 80 years old. Said, I want you to stop tending sheep. I want you to go to the most powerful man in the world, and I want you to tell him, let my people go. The people are doing all the work. People that are building the pyramids and doing all that, I want you to go tell them, nah. Okay, your time to let us go. Exodus 17, if you please turn to there in your Bibles, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Exodus and Genesis this morning. So, they've come out of Egypt, they've gone through the Red Sea, I mean, they've seen God do miraculous things already, they went through the ten plagues, they've seen it all, and now they're out wandering in the desert, 
And then they said, but the people were thirsted for water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, why now? Have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with these people? <laughs> A little more and I, you know, I think they're going to stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. God provided. It wasn't Moses that produced the water out of the rock. It wasn't Moses that brought manna down from heaven. It wasn't Moses that split the Red Sea. This is important, okay? It was God who met the needs of his people. It was God who provided for his people when it looked like there was no way out or they were going to die of thirst or they are going to die without food. And look, you want to talk about the nature of God and how he provides. Look at the story of Abraham and his son Isaac, okay? Turn to Genesis 22. And I'm going to go all the way from, from two, uh, verse 2 to 14. I mean, this story is amazing. Genesis 22. God says this and starts in verse 2, and he goes, you know, imagine, the thing, you parents, think of this. God says, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and I want you to go to the land of Moran and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place which God told him. So on the third day, well, I got to tell you, there's so many references in here who Isaac represents it someday in the future. I mean, Jeff did a tremendous teaching about Jesus carrying your own. Anyways, I don't have time for that. <laughs> but on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes. And he saw where they're supposed to go in the distance. And Abraham said to the young man with him, I want you guys to stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go over there and we're going to worship and then we'll return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, yeah, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham says, what did he say? God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb of the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. So then they get to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham builds the altar there. He arranges the wood. Now this part, I don't. You know, he bounds up his son Isaac and lays him on the altar. I mean, did the kid go easy? I mean, it makes you wonder, right? I mean, you're sitting there with your kid and you're walking up and you're building, oh, hold on a second, <laughs> and tie him up, right? And then you lay him on the altar. I, 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 I need to do a study. I know someone years ago said what, how old they thought Isaac was. I just don't remember what it was. But I love this. So he binds him, puts him on the altar. Abraham stretches out his hand, takes the knife, ready to slay his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he goes, here I am. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham went, took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will, as it was said to this day, and the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. God is our Jehovah Jireh. That's what it means, a provider. He's the Jireh. God is the Jehovah Jireh. He will provide. It's one of his natures. Do you think for a moment, do you think Abraham had a crisis of belief when he's picking the knife up? Do you think he's like, what? Right? I mean, think about it. Back in Abraham's day, people, people, some people sacrificed their kids on altars to try to please the gods that they were trying to please. But because of Abraham's faith and someone who has already experienced God in the past, Abraham just said, God's going to provide a way out of this. He's going to provide. I don't know if he thought God, I don't know if he thought God would just bring a son back to life again. I don't know what it was, but he had the faith enough to do it. So let me ask you about your mountain moments. When you're walking up the mountain, a mountain you don't want to be climbing. I'm not talking physical. Maybe it's a mountain of bad health. Maybe it's a mountain of family distress, issues going on, work things. Like Abraham, are we walking up the mountain? You know, the, the God's called us to us wondering how the heck is God going to meet the need of this? How is this going? How in the world is God going to provide? I'm not the only one that's been there, right? We know that feeling. How the heck is God ever going to provide out of this? Let me tell you, this is so important. And it's a don't miss this. <laughs> but it's really important. If God knows where you are, he can cause anybody in the world to help you. Oh, man, let me say it again. I should get paid for this stuff. Look at it. If God knows where you are, and of course he's all-knowing, he can cause anybody in the world to help you, anybody in the world, to come alongside you at the moment that you think it's all done and nobody, then what are you going to do? Because you see, it's in those mountain-climbing moments I need to ask myself this question, and I've done it. Am I willing to allow Jesus Christ's power to sustain me as I'm walking this mountain? Will I allow him to be my Jehovah Jireh, my provider? Am I willing to accept God's provision for my life? And here's the big one, not mine. I'm telling you, let me say it again. Am I willing to accept, and I've said this, am I willing to accept God's provision for my life and not the provision I want? He's our provider. Secondly, God's nature, can I tell you, it's to pursue us. I love what it says in 2 Samuel. For, for we will surely die, and like water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again, yet God does not take away life. 
but plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. God's nature is to pursue us. Have you ever had or are you right now praying for someone in your family? Relative, neighbor, someone that was so desperately, boy, I wish they knew who Jesus was. How many years have you been praying for that person? Can I tell you, you know what God's saying right here in the scripture verse? He's saying in this verse that he'll devise a way. Don't worry, I'll devise a way to make this happen. The people you're praying for, God is working in ways that we're unaware of, of bringing that person into a relationship with him. Our prayers, can I tell you, in the spiritual realm have power. Listen, I may have shared, and some of you may have heard this before about my past. Before I was a believer, I, I didn't know that. Well, here, I'll just tell you the story. So I show up, Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm there to visit my brother and family holidays. And uh, I just became a believer. I was 43 years old, just became a believer. And uh, we're back for, I think it was Christmas. And we're back for the holidays, and so I'm going to church. <laughs> it was new in my life, so we're going to church. Well, I show up at, his, at my brother's church, and people are coming up to me. And first off, you know, when you're a new believer, they, they hug you. That was like really weird, you know. Men are hugging me. I wasn't used to that, okay? That was just a strange thing. But they were walking up to me and saying, congratulations. Congratulations. And I turned to my brother. Why are they congratulating me? He says, they've been praying for you for five years. I still get emotional about it today. Power of intercessory prayer. So your parents out there, any of you praying for your children, praying for them, I'm telling you, there is power in prayer. I love what it says in 2 Peter. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, this is what I want you to do. See where it says you on there? I want you to put the name of the person you're praying for. The name of the person you hope would come to understand who Jesus is and what that means in his life. And I'm going to read it again. And I'm going to, when I get to the part where it says you, you just put that person's name in there. Make it personal. The Lord, and he's speaking to some of you. The Lord's not slow about his promise. As some count slowness, but is patient towards not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That is a tremendous promise. You know, I've heard me say before there's over 7,000 promises in here. And you've heard me say before a promise is only as good as the person that gives it to you. If God makes you a promise, you can count on it. You can. What did they used to say? You can bank on it. So thirdly, God's nature, here's another thing about God's nature. He wants everybody to be saved. He wants everybody to be saved. Look what it says in 1 Timothy. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires what? All men to be saved. You know, they all say about all. All means all, and that's all that all means, okay? He wants all men 
to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You remember, you know, we all know John 3.16. Remember John 3.17. God didn't come into the world to condemn it. He came into the world to save it. How about Romans here? Romans 5. For while we, right here, were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. Before we ever knew we needed him. He went before us. Before we even knew. Don't miss this. God never gives up on us, and neither should we give up on anyone. Let's just say it again. God never gives up on us, and neither should we give up on anyone, ever. We need to do as the Scripture tells us, persevere. We don't give up on that person. We don't know who God is going to bring alongside that person that you're praying for right now. Listen, when I first became a believer, I ran it. It's not my best friend. His name is Brian. I was new to the faith. I was at some function, you know, uh, something here in the valley. I forget what exactly what it was for. It was uh, one of those places where you meet other business people and that. Uh, Brian worked for a golf industry. I ran in over there finds out that he's a believer. He found I was just recently became one. He met me for lunch week after week after week. And he allowed me to share and ask the, which I we thought were stupid questions. But he allowed me to. God brought him into my life just at the right time. And it's not just because I'm Paul and I'm a pastor now. No, God does it for everybody. He will bring people into your life at certain stages and certain times to help you walk through, help you to persevere, help the family members or neighbors you're praying for. Pray that God sends them somebody. I got a brother who's not a believer. Believe me, it breaks my marriage. I pray all the time. I cry sometimes for him. But I pray, God, send somebody. Send somebody. I know he loves them. I know he doesn't want them to perish because that's God's nature. Okay, I know God will provide. Those are the first three we already talked about today. I know, that's God. I know he will. But it still hurts my heart. And here's our fourth nature quality of God. He's our protector. He's your Jehovah, your Jehovah Nisi. This psalm I'm going to read to you dramatically emphasizes how much God cares for us 24 hours a day. And you should keep, this is a great psalm in your book to have highlighted, Psalms 121. And you've all heard it in a song, because it's actually words from a song. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who makes heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forth. Isn't that a powerful, isn't that a great one to read when you're in those dark nights of the soul? You know, and you're just, you're down on your knees maybe, and you know, you're just lying on the, sometimes, sometimes like, where things get bad, you know, you're just lying on the carpet, you don't know what to do. 
It's a great psalm to pull out. God's not going to let me drop. Look at Exodus here, chapter 3. Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to go to the sons of Israel, and I'm going to say to them, you know, I love this, the God of your, so he's, you know, he's talking to God because God's telling him to go to his people and go to the Pharaoh and all this. So he goes, look, it's kind of like, all right, let, let me get this straight. I'm going to go to the sons of Israel, <laughs> okay? And I'm going to say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? Well, what am I going to say to them? And God says, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What? I am who I am. And you know why that's a powerful name for God? Because God is saying, listen, please hear this. God's saying, my nature is that whatever you need me to be in your life, that's what I will be. I am who I am to you. Whatever you need me to be in your life, I am. Do you need some comfort to you? Here I am. Do you need wisdom? Do you need direction? Here I am. I'm everything you need. I am your all in all. Friends, if you want to experience God in your life, if you want him to be your provider, if you want him to be your protector, your pursuer, your savior, whatever the need or direction that you need in your life you're looking for, you just call out to the great I am. I love hearing John. You know, Jesus says, he goes, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I'm going to love him and will disclose myself to him. And then Judas, not a scared, said to him, Lord, well, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not, and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine. He said, but it's the Father who sent me. Here's the question I want to ask you this morning. How do you need God to manifest himself to you today? How would you like the I am to manifest himself to you today? Do you need him to manifest himself as a provider, protector, pursuer? You know, God has a whole, lots of different names. If you go through this Bible, God has so many names. People name him after the I am, I needed this, I needed this, and, and they name God those things. He's been called the shelter from the storm. He's the source of strength. He's been called, he's your rock. He's your stronghold. Does he need to be the God that heals right now in your life? How about the God of hope? Do you need some hope today? He is the God that is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever imagine. Ever imagine. Do we really grasp all that he is? You know, I came across this clip, and I, I usually play it every Easter or Good Friday. And it, it, it just talks about who Jesus is, who the real king is. And I'm going to have them play that video right now for you. 
The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. That's the Lord that we serve. That's the God who's our parent, God who loves us and cares for us. The Lord gave me uh, a scripture this morning as I was preparing, and I want to read this to you. And then we're going to close with a song, but this is out of Revelation, and you can certainly follow if you want, but it's Revelation 5. Is he a God that's worthy? Is he a God that is worthy to take care of our sins, to love us, to care for us. Is he the one? 
And this is what it says, Revelation 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or even look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Don't weep, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loosen the seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll. And to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. And they are all saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard them saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Listen to the words of this song next. And you tell me if he's worthy. <laughs> 